You know, we've been reading through uh, and studying through the Gospel of John together, and today in John chapter 16, we're going to see where Jesus tells his disciples, you will weep and grieve, but he says your sorrow will turn to joy. See, Jesus knew that he was going to be dead within 24 hours, but he also knew that Sunday was coming, uh, that his resurrection was just a few days away. His disciples, on the other hand, they couldn't see it yet. They were forced, if you would, to wait till Sunday. But as followers of Jesus today, for you and me, we have the promise and the hope of knowing that the resurrection has already happened. And for that reason alone, Christians should be some of the most joyful people in the world. So why aren't we? Why, why do we get barreled over by concerns and worries that topple us every single day? Today I want to talk with you about a joy that has the potential to change everything for all of us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us. Uh, you are a God that is worthy of all praise, even as we've been singing here today, like your name alone is the, it's the only name that is worthy of praise. And uh, that's our hope and our desire here today, Lord, is to worship you. We want our words, we want our hearts, we want our actions to be just an expression that brings you great praise and great glory, not only in this place, but even as we leave this place. And Father, we know that your presence is here with us today. Uh, would you speak to our hearts right now? Uh, Father, you know every person, you know every story, you know every situation and circumstance. And so we invite you here to do what only you can do to speak into our hearts, to speak into our minds. And God, I pray that when we leave here, we'll leave here knowing that we have encountered you in a special way. Speak through me now. Again, speak through your word to us. And it's in Jesus' powerful and precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, we want to thank you again for being here with us today. My name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis. I've got the privilege of spending time here at our Carmel campus. And if you don't know, we also have a Noblesville campus too. So I get to see a little bit of both worlds and, and the best uh, of them. And uh, it's sure great being a part of this church family. And so if you're visiting with us today, uh, welcome. Thanks for being here. We'd love the chance uh, to get to know you a little bit better. And thanks to all of you that are watching online as well. We consider you a part of this church family and so thanks for tuning in today. How many of you um, know what this is? Get a good look at it. In fact, I've got one in my pocket, all right? Uh, and some of you kids, when you look at this right away, you're like, that's a fossil, right? Yeah, get the microscope out. Let's, let's take a, a peek at it. Uh, but uh, many of you know that this is one of the first, uh, one of the original iPods. And I remember when I got my iPod back, way back, oh, I don't know, it was around 2003 or something. And I, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world to think that you could put your library of songs on this well, now very heavy device, uh, you know, as, as technology has changed, but it was sleek, it was kind of cool to, uh, uh, you know, carry around, let others see you with it, and then one day I realized I needed something else, all right, that uh, the iPod wasn't working out for me, but something simpler, and well, I got the iPod Shuffle. How many of you had an iPod Shuffle back in the day? Some of you, 
I've got mine as well. See, I've got this little box of trinkets uh, that I keep and, and hold on to. I guess I just don't know what to do with them. They still work as well. I've got some songs on here. But uh, the interesting thing about the shuffle is that you couldn't know what song you were going to play next. You just kind of had to go with it. And uh, you could put it on shuffle mode, but it was sleek. It was simple. It was easy to run or exercise with if you're going to travel. Uh, really easy to carry along. Well, right around the time I got the iPod shuffle, wouldn't you know it, Apple came out with the iPhone, all right? We all know about the iPhone, probably plenty of iPhones in the room, and at first there was no way I was ever going to think about spending the money for something like an iPhone. Like, why did I even need it? But then what happened? It's the same thing that happened to all of us. Apple did a great job of convincing you and me that you can't live without it, all right? This is something you need on you at all times, and so slowly but surely, my interest in getting an iPhone increased. Again, how could I possibly live without one and so one day I took the bold step and I've had one ever since and I'm all the way up get this to the iPhone 7 now all right you talk about fossils right uh, I'm hanging on you know they're not going to update it any longer I'm sure but while I'd love to live without it I can't imagine trying to figure out how to do many of the things that we do that require something like a phone. But technology is kind of like that. They do a great job of convincing us this is going to make your life better. This is going to make your life easier. And so uh, we're convinced that we need something, and then you get it. Have you ever had this happen before? Like you finally get it, you obtain it and acquire it, and then time passes, and eventually you realize it's not as great or as awesome as it used to be. Like the, the happiness fades. The, the joy, if you will, seems to diminish. And what do we do? We start looking to the next thing, right? We go looking to the next item, but it's not just technology. We'll go looking for joy and happiness in just about anything, uh, in an achievement. You know, have you ever felt this way before? Like, if I can just get into that school, or if I could just get that promotion, if I can make so much money, if I, if I can make so much money, if I can get to a certain level, you know, then I'll be able to get anything I ever need. If I find love, you know, if I can only get married, or we'll go looking for joy and happiness in things like our kids. Uh, and their accomplishments, achievements, we'll even convince ourselves that if I get this, you can kind of fill in the blank, whatever you feel like it is for you. If I can get this, well, then I'll be happy, then I'll have joy in my life. And it doesn't mean that the things are the problem. All right, because there are plenty of things that the Lord gives us. There are plenty of things that He blesses uh, us with that have the potential of contributing uh, to the joy that we experience in this world. But if I can tell you something, when we go looking for joy in anything other than Jesus Christ, it's going to be short-lived at best, and we'll never experience genuine joy. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 16. As I mentioned, we've been reading through the book of John this year, talking about it here on Sundays. Uh, for the last couple of months, we've been studying through the, the last words of Jesus, the last words that he spoke to his disciples before he went to the cross. And by the time we get to John chapter 16, it's a Thursday, excuse me, it's a Thursday night, and uh, this Thursday evening began in the upper room with the Last Supper. It was here that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Uh, he predicted the betrayal by one of his disciples, and at some point in the evening, John records that Jesus and his disciples left the upper room in the city. Uh, they walked by the temple in John chapter 15, and by the time we get to John chapter 16, 
they've likely come outside of the city walls here uh, and passed through the Kidron Valley and are on their way into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they go, Jesus is teaching them. He's explaining things to them. He's, he's preparing them, if you would, training them for their kingdom assignment, but also getting them ready for how to deal with hurt, uh, this hurt that they've experienced up to this point, but certainly a hurt that's coming. Uh, a hurt that they're going to experience once he's dead. And honestly, this is one of the things that I love about Jesus, that he's utilizing these moments as he trains and equips his disciples, that he's certainly not going to miss the opportunity to minister to them where their needs are, right where the people are in the moment. And in the same way, it shouldn't surprise us either that God's word can be like that for you and me. That certainly his word is, is useful for us when it comes to things like correction. And it's good for us when it comes to things like training, other times in encouragement. But I also know that there could be times like today, and, and maybe this would describe where you are right now, where you're hurting. Uh, and it could be any number of things, you know, weighed down by, by different circumstances that are going on in your life. Maybe there's a, a recent death or, or illness uh, that's really impacting you, maybe a, a, a divorce, uh, and whether in your life or somebody that's very close to you, uh, may, maybe you're weighed down by your job right now and some of the, the high expectations, or, or maybe there's not enough work, maybe there's some financial struggle, maybe it's an addiction. Uh, I don't know what it is for you today, whatever it may be, but, but if you're dealing with some, some pain, some hurt, some disappointment, my prayer is that no matter what he wants to do today, that Jesus' words uh, will minister directly to you in some powerful way. And so let's pick it up in John chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 16. I'm going to do one pass through uh, of some of the words that we're going to look at today, and then we'll back up and just kind of bounce around in a couple of different places. But John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16, uh, here's what Jesus says. Jesus went on to say to them, in a little while you'll see me no more. Okay, it's a Thursday night. Jesus knows that he's going to be dead probably in the next 12 to 18 hours. And he says, and then after a little while, you will see me. See, Jesus knows that Sunday's coming. He knows there will be a resurrection, but the disciples can't see that. So that's kind of what he's trying to explain. Then we read, at this, some of his disciples said to another, one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me, and, and because I'm going to the Father. And so they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? And we, we don't understand what he's saying. I love John's honesty here. He, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Jesus said to them, verse 20, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He goes on to explain, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. Can I get an amen from some of the, the women in the room who've had some babies? All right, but he says, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. He says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy in that day, verse 23, you will no longer ask me anything. No, very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. What 
point is Jesus trying to make here? Well, first, let's remember that while we stopped at verse 16 last week, Jesus' words are actually part of a longer monologue that began way back in chapter 15, even before that. And so if we look back that far, there are a few themes that have been emerging over the past month. There's the the promise of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that. Jesus promised that he would send a helper, a counselor, an advocate to the disciples. And then Jesus was talking about uh, our response in all things, in all situations. Like when you don't know what to do, love one another. All right, Jesus says, hey, we're just going to boil it down to the simplest response. You just keep loving one another. A third theme is one that we sang about just a moment ago, and that's to abide in Jesus, that one of the most important things that we can do as followers of Jesus is to stay connected to him, to remain in him, to abide in Jesus. Eight times in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about abiding. And then if we just take this last section of these two chapters, the second half of John 16, which we're looking at today, one prominent theme that I see in Jesus' words has to do with joy. Jesus talking about joy. He says you will grieve, right? But your grief will turn to joy. He reminds the disciples that no one can take away your joy. And then he says, ask for whatever you want in my name and your joy will be complete. I think it's pretty clear. Jesus has something to say about joy. Now, let's say this about joy. Not to be confused with happiness. Okay, not that joy can't be happiness, that there can't be, that there should be some happiness in our joy, but, but happiness comes and goes. Happiness is, is based on circumstances. Joy isn't dependent on our circumstance or how things are going. It's more than a feeling. Again, it's something that God produces in our lives, something that he grows in us. It's a fruit of the spirit, as the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians 5.22. And it's something that as we read and understand it in its entirety, It really is a mark that should distinguish anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus. I once heard someone say that Christians should be the most joy-filled people on the planet. But are we? Why aren't we? Why isn't that what we're known for? I performed a funeral this past week for a really kind man who lived in my neighborhood, and as we were planning his service, his wife had this really great idea. She suggested that we take a moment in the service, and I just asked people in the crowd to come up with one or two words that would best describe this this, this, this man, her husband, and then we just gave everyone a few minutes just to say their word, their words out loud. It was a really special moment as people shouted out their words, words like kind and thoughtful, generous. Uh, faithful, peaceful, encouraging. I mean, it got me thinking, what kind of words would people say at my funeral? What would they say at yours? What kinds of words would they use to describe you? Like, would joy be one of those words? Like, would anyone really say, when I think of Paul, I always think of joy? Or would they say words like stressed, tired, anxious, worried, busy, or as my wife and I often joke, we went on our tombstone just to simply say, he tried, right? She tried, you know, isn't that what we're all just doing? We're just trying. I don't know about you, but I want, I want to be more joyful. Like, why, why aren't we more joyful? Can I suggest that genuine life-changing joy is available to every single one of us? is ready to have its way in our lives. And, and again, not to be confused with happiness because that's, that's based on feelings. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is greater than happiness and joy comes from knowing Jesus and, and having confidence that he is who he says 
he is. And so if anything is going to distinguish us from the rest of this world, why not joy? Why not joy? I wonder how many of us could use more joy in our lives. Let's browse through these words of Jesus again quickly. I think we'll find that Jesus is dropping some hints about joy and how to get more of joy into our lives. John chapter 16 again, picking it up in verse 16. We've got this little interesting dialogue going on. Jesus says, in a little while you'll see me no more, okay, because uh, I'm going to die. And then after a while you will see me. Uh, I was reading somebody this past week that just says, don't make this more complicated than it is. Jesus is realizing, I'm dying tomorrow, but God's going to raise me from the dead on, on Sunday. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by that? In a little while, you'll see me, all right? And then we, he, he continues, you know, and then we won't see you again because I'm going to the Father. So they kept asking, what's he mean by this? A little while, we don't understand what he's saying, verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and then he continues, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. There are three things that I think we see here about God's genuine joy in these verses, and the first is this, that joy grows in us as we learn to trust and understand that God has a process, uh, that God is up to something, he's doing something, that as the writer of Romans says, he is working in all things, that he's a God that's never absent, he's always present, he is there for us and available to us when, when things are going well, and he is there and available to us when things aren't going well, and his joy can be found and discovered even when we're in a tight spot. And how does he get more joy in us? The more we trust him, like the more we remember and reminded that he's in control of all things, the more we'll understand. And when you and I start understanding that God has this process that we can experience his joy even when things aren't going so swell for us. So much of what we often experience in this world is something we see happening here for the disciples too. And I was reading somebody that described this process, God's process, much like this, that there's oftentimes a period of confusion in our lives where we wonder and we ask what God's up to, that so often we go through periods and seasons of grief, these weary uh, winter seasons of our life where we have these questions and there's disappointment and there's frustration and there's hurt and there's pain. But what we need to be reminded of is that there is a resurrection joy that God has something great and awesome for every single one of us in mind. Look at how he says this. Uh, Jesus says this to his disciples. If you've got your Bibles open, he basically says, you don't, don't understand what I'm saying now. There's the confusion, uh, but soon you will grieve. All right. When the world rejoices, but Jesus verse 33, we'll see this in a moment. Take heart because your grief will turn to joy, as he says there in verse 20. Have you experienced that in your life? Like I know I have too. I've, I've experienced seasons like this, but you know what I hate? I've also missed some of what God's been trying to do in me as well and maybe missed out on the reminders of this, this, this joy, you know, where something in life happens, the confusion sets in. God, what are you up to? Like, do you, do you see how this is impacting me? Do you see how this is impacting my family? We wonder, God, what are you doing? And maybe there's a loss. Maybe there's grief. Maybe there's some intense pain and the questions and we're, we're forced 
to respond. Let me, let me just briefly share with you some examples in the Bible where we see this process uh, playing out. Let's take, for example, the story, the Old Testament story of uh, Joseph uh, or Jacob and his son Joseph. You know, Joseph, the son with the the, the, the coat of many colors. Joseph was the favored son, and so Jacob gave him this special coat, but the older brothers get really jealous, and so they make this plan to kill Joseph, and at the last moment, they relent. They feel bad for it, uh, for him, and so they, they basically kind of beat him up, throw him in a pit, and then they sell him off into slavery, and then so that they can have a story, they take this coat, they rip it to shreds, they dip it in some blood, and they take it back to his father, uh, Jacob, and so there's confusion. Like, is this his coat? Like, is he really gone? And then when it becomes real to Jacob that indeed he's dead, there's this intense grief in Jacob's life. He even responds by saying, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. Well, over the next few years, uh, Jacob prospers as a slave, gains favor with his master and with God, eventually becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. When a famine hits Canaan, all right, the brothers are forced to pick up. They land in Egypt. Eventually, Jacob, the father, winds up there too and they they realize one day that this is Joseph this is our brother this is Joseph my son and Jacob says now that I see that you're alive I can die in peace it's as if Joseph has been brought back from the dead you could say that Jacob discovered his joy again through this process uh, how, how about the story of Abraham and Sarah God promises to give them many children, but they don't have any, and they're old, all right? They're beyond childbearing years. Sarah actually laughs at God. There's, there's confusion, uh, if you would. Then Sarah takes matters into her own hands. She gives her servant uh, to Abraham. They have a child, but, what, when, uh, but when she becomes pregnant, Sarah gets angry, angry with Abraham, angry with God. And so you could say there's a grieving process that goes on in her life, but then after years, God gives Abraham and Sarah a son, just as he promised, a son by the name of Isaac. Again, it's as if life has come out of their grief. Sarah is filled with joy. She says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh. They will celebrate with me. How about one more, New Testament? We see the story of Lazarus. He's the brother of Mary and Martha. His good friend Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, but Jesus stays where he was for two more days. By the time Jesus gets to their home, Lazarus is dead. There's confusion. Even the sisters ask, where have you been? Why did it take you so long? If you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Have you ever talked to God that bluntly? You know, have you ever gone to the Lord with, with those kinds of intense personal, honest questions, you know, God, if only you had intervened in some way, you know, I wouldn't be in this mess. Don't you love me? Don't you care for like when we're, when we're in a tough situation, I know there's been moments of confusion. We've all had these moments of grief. When Jesus finally comes to the place where Lazarus' body has been laid, there's this crowd outside mourning. His friends are crying. The sisters are crying. Jesus is so moved, as John records, that he weeps, that Jesus is filled with grief. But then Jesus goes to Lazarus. He calls Lazarus to come from the tomb. And wouldn't you know it, Lazarus walks out alive. The people are overjoyed, all right, by what has taken place. And Mary and Martha, they throw this party for Jesus and for Lazarus. Their grief has turned to joy. You can see it over and over again. God uses this process of confusion, of questions. Unfortunately, we go through these seasons of pain and loss and disappointment and grief. 
And you know what? I think there are many times where we get stuck here. Have you ever gotten stuck in this place? Maybe you feel like you're in that place in that season right now. Maybe you know somebody that's never recovered. And they're still drowning in their grief and their sorrow. And the danger of not ever moving beyond this place is that we can miss out on so much more of what the Lord has for us. But how do we do that? How do we experience more joy in something like pain and trials? We're reminded that we have a God that wants to meet us there. He is a God that is willing to come into the confusion and the pain of our lives. He wants to walk with us through the questions that we have, the grief and the frustrations we experience in, in this world. And why? Like, why the pain, though? Like, why, why does it have to take place in the pain? Well, he certainly isn't responsible for the pain. I mean, that's the product of sin and the reality of living in a broken world. But because God knows there's pain in this world and he knows there's grief in this world and he knows that you and I, that we're going to go through it, he makes himself available. He is a God that, that proves over and over again that he is ready uh, to meet us in the pain and confusion. Really, maybe unlike any other ways that he does in our lives, is it any wonder that the psalmist would write and say that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed. You and I are going to experience pain in this world. And maybe some of you are in a painful place right now. If that's you, can I just encourage you today by saying this? Don't give up. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't get stuck in this place. It doesn't mean rush through it. But you can trust him. You know, we can trust the Lord. We can trust him even in the pain. He can help us experience even more joy, the joy of knowing him and his presence. These disciples were confused. These next few days for them would be filled with grief. But Jesus knew that Sunday was coming, and Sunday meant resurrection, and it meant this promised joy. And that's why Jesus says your grief will turn to joy. It was his way of saying that God is going to transform this grief into even more joy for you and he wants to do that for you and me and whatever we're going through verse 22 he continues he says you know now is your time of grief but he says but i will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy in that day you will no longer ask me anything he says, very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And so God uses things like confusion and grief to draw us close because he's after intimacy with you and me. All right, this is the abiding stuff. He wants to be uh, the vine that works through us that provides what we need. But once we understand that God has a process, I think what Jesus is getting at here, and I think what he's been explaining to his disciples over these last few chapters, is that we need to be people who talk to him about it. That step two then to finding genuine joy is to practice it. It's to practice things like authentic prayer. What's that? Prayer is believing that somebody's on the other side. It's believing that somebody is there and is listening. Prayer is having this real, honest conversation with God. It's how we experience intimacy with Him. It's how we abide in Him. And it's through that intimacy with God that we can experience, no matter the season, even more genuine joy. And Jesus puts a special caveat on this here. He says, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. In other words, the name of Jesus 
grants us special access to the throne room and presence of God. Have you ever been granted special access to something? I, I was uh, thinking about uh, a situation I was in when I was a kid. Uh, we were in San Antonio. We went to San Antonio, Texas as a family uh, to visit my, my aunt and my uncle. And one day we got into my uncle's car uh, to drive on to the Air Force base where he served. And I, I was thinking back, I was probably around 10 years of age or so at the time. But I remember just being so fascinated as a little boy, you know, traveling on to this Air Force base. But I'll never forget that in going on to this base, uh, that all of the people that would stop what they were doing and would all of a sudden come to attention and even salute my uncle's car as we drove by. See, my uncle was a major in the United States Air Force. Because of his rank, uh, we, were, we were able to gain special access and permission into areas that we would not have been able to go into on our own. If you've trusted Christ with your life, uh, if your hope is in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the good news is that you and I have special access to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like the wonderful promises that you and I, you can go directly to the Father when you pray, the Creator and the giver of all joy. He is one who listens to us when we pray, and he loves to respond to our prayers. And according to Jesus, this very truth alone ought to be enough to increase the joy that we experience. Because for these disciples, the thought that they could go directly to God the Father was inconceivable. But they didn't realize and see what Jesus was about to do and accomplish with his death and resurrection. I don't know what you're going through right now, but don't be afraid to talk to God about it. Don't be afraid to keep taking it to the Lord because as a follower of Jesus, you and I have special access to the one who rules over all things. And that truth and the application of it in your life has the ability to bring greater joy for you and into your heart today as well as peace. Because once we understand that God has a process for joy and that we, we, we've prayed authentic prayers over, over whatever situation you find yourself in now, the last step that Jesus describes to his disciples is to accept God's peace. Accept his peace. Because the more we trust him, and the more that we recognize his sovereignty over our lives and all of the events and happenings in this world, the more we stand to experience his peace. And the more we experience his peace, the more room and space that's cleared up inside of us to experience more of his joy. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, God's peace comes from knowing and being reminded that Jesus is in control. It's knowing that he has overcome the world through his death and resurrection, that God raised him from the dead, and because he did, Seth, death has been defeated, that things like sin no longer have any rule over our lives, and because of Jesus, we can experience things like healing and forgiveness and redemption 
and joy, and that joy is something that God wants to give and produce in every single one of us and in abundance. You want to know something? I do believe and think that Christians, that we, that Genesis Church, ought to be some of the most joy-filled people on the planet. And why? Because death is not the end of the story. Jesus is alive. And you and I are able to experience even more joy as we learn to trust Him. As we, as we experience intimacy with Him and we abide in Him and we, we spend time in conversation with Him each day. And as His joy takes root in us and grows, we experience more and more of His peace. Do you know that peace? Are you experiencing His joy? Because He offers it to you. You know, Jesus looked at his disciples in John chapter 16, just hours before he was arrested. He told them, your grief will turn to joy. Again, Jesus knew he was about to die, but he knew that three days later, God would raise him from the dead. The resurrection, that's the game changer. It all changes when Christ walks out of the tomb. But for the disciples, they were forced to live in an anticipation that it would happen. And sometimes waiting is the hardest part. In the same way we wait too, we ain't waiting on the resurrection. That's already taken place. We have that hope. We have that joy. We're just waiting for Jesus to come once again, that he will do what he said he will do, and he promised that he would come again for us. Will you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great and your awesome love for us, that you sent Jesus not just as a teacher, but as an example and as a savior. And we thank you for his words today, that there is joy available to us and that the resurrection, it changes all things. That we are alive in Jesus Christ, that life is available to you today because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I know many of you know that and trust that and celebrate that for your life. Maybe today's a reminder for you, but I also realize that maybe for some of you here today, you've never trusted the Lord before, and today's a great day to trust Him. He makes His life available to you. His joy is available to you. Tell Him you need it. You're ready for it. You want it today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.